Ian, let's start with um, Barclays Bank announcing in October that they're going to stop offering cash withdrawals over the counter in post offices. This is going to leave a lot of people who bank with them in rural areas unable to get cash when they need it. Um, I think I think that's true for Barclays Bank customers specifically who use post offices, but there are a number of other ways to get cash. Um, but before we talk about those, I think it's, it's probably worthwhile also mentioning that all of the other banks, um, including some of the challenger banks like Starling Bank, have actually committed to use the post office for both withdrawals and also deposits as well. So I think Barclays is standing out on, on their own at least for the time being. Um, I think there's been some press speculation that that the other banks will follow, but actually most of the other banks have signed long-term agreements with the post office. So I think Barclays Bank stands out on their own in that that context. Um, With respect to where can customers still get their money from, um, there there have been some interesting developments um, in in other routes. Um, So, for example... Um, you've got uh, MasterCard who are now encouraging local convenience stores to give cash back and they're actually going to pay them to do that. So I think that's a, that's a good step forward. Um, clearly, it doesn't prevent anybody from using an ATM as well and there are plenty of ATMs around a non-barclays. Not as many as there used to be. Absolutely, absolutely. They are, they are shrinking, um, but they, there's also some, some fairly strong incentives in the industry, like, for example, the incentive from, from Link which obviously is a consortium of banks that, that sit on top of Link, to encourage placement of, of ATMs in rural areas. So I think it's, I think it's a very visible step and it's something I've commented on. Um, and I, I'm not sure uh, that, that Barclays are following the trend of the industry and, and you know, maybe they'll, they'll even rethink that. I have no idea, but you know, I think they're, they're bucking the trend. That's the point I make. Well, there's, there's ways of interpreting that. It could be, is this a straw in the wind, or have they made a, a tactical error when everybody else remains committed to it? Because this, it's not the way it's supposed to go. We, we, we talk a lot about fintech and about challenger banks and how things are actually improving for customers and how technology should make things better for customers and should be easier for the, the non-banked and, and for those people at the bottom of the banking ladder to, to, to move up it to access services and to access products. And this is certainly seems to be a step against that that Barclays have, have, have taken. But we won't focus on Barclays. We, we, we've covered that topic. Let's, let's look at what is happening in the industry um, um, I mentioned the, the, the non-banked or the unbanked it may be a surprise to some but this is still a, a, an issue even in the UK Yes, I mean there are um, a, 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 a small number of people uh, relatively speaking that don't have banking services in, in, in the UK and from an inclusive perspective that's not acceptable um, I, I speak from personal experience. My, my brother, um, who, who has uh, some, some challenges, learning, learning challenges, um, had a real problem opening a bank account. Um, and, and he has a problem using banking services as well. So from, from my own personal experience, I, I absolutely recognise that. Um, I think it's not a problem that, that actually sits with the banking industry alone. Um, and, and once again, that's from my own personal experience. My, my brother's challenges were very much around the fact that he didn't have any ID. He had no passport. He had no driving license. 
therefore, you know, from a regulatory perspective... He was a non-person. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and that's something that um, I think that there are a number of parties that, that have, a, have, have a play in that, government being one. Um, I think you can look at, um, from a technology perspective, um, other countries to see what they have done about that. And, and there's, there's quite a lot of... Um, quite a lot of interest in the India model um, of of moving towards a, a biometric approach to ID. Well, I was going to say fingerprints, I, retinal scans. Yes, I mean that that brings with it itself yeah. a, a number of challenges. But we we in Fujitsu have seen the success of that. Um, so we had a uh, a number of years ago now we had a fairly major challenge in in Brazil with one of our customers that was using ATMs um, that. Um, was was challenged with crime. Um, so people were basically coming up behind people. They were stealing their books, stealing their cards. They were taking their numbers. Um, so we implemented um, palm scan on on the ATMs, and that was a very successful method for ensuring that the person taking out the money was that person. And it's fairly substantially reduced the crime associated with that. So so biometrics can be used very successfully um, for organisations to to deliver banking services to individuals. And India is, is a really good case in point. It's a fairly low-cost solution. Um, it's been very successful. There are, there are a number of challenges, that, that, as, as I mentioned already. Um, but overall, I think ID is something that, that jointly banks and, and the government could focus on um, and be very successful at, at supporting the unbanked. And this actually is not just an issue of, of the availability of cash, it's the availability of all services, all Absolutely. financial services. Absolutely, and, and I think, I think um, the banking world has an opportunity to, um, to look... I mean, if, if, you take, if you take it across a fairly broad spread, so not just consumers but, but um, also small businesses as well, now banks have to go through a number of checks to ensure the trustworthiness, the creditworthiness... Um, even you know the, who, 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 they, who they say they are when, when people take out accounts. Um, if they could share that information with the person's uh, consent, of course, and the company's consent with other organisations to establish trust. So, so you know, from an ID perspective, from a trust perspective, I think banks in the future will have a, a strong part to play in supporting uh, trust and, and ID. Is this something that the banks are going to be able to afford to do, though? Because they are, the existing banks, traditional banks, are under a great deal of pressure from challenger institutions. They're under a great deal of pressure from tech companies as well who are looking to, and I believe the phrase is, skim the cream off the top. Yes. Are they actually going to be able to, to carry out what is effectively a social function? It's a really good question. That's a really good question. That's why I asked it. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I, I think, you know, the whole aspect of social function, social, social purpose, if we call it, is something that's, that's under uh, quite a lot of scrutiny inside banks at the moment. And there are a number of reasons for that. Um, I think, if you, you know, if you rewind 20 years with a typical uh, branch manager, you know, there, there was a huge social purpose that the branch, the bank branch, um, carried out in terms of supporting people when, when they needed access to money, in terms of keeping people's money safe, but going well beyond that, you know, for example, vouching for an individual when they applied for a passport. That was the job of the bank manager. Um, I, I think as we, we are seeing banks reduce their branch networks um, and, uh, I guess, physically becoming more distant from, from their customers, they, they are at the same time trying to reach back out to those customers um, with a social purpose, and, and there's a whole uh, a whole load of things that the banks are doing. I mean, the, the campaign recently, for example, that 
Lloyd's had to promote the understanding and, and challenges of mental health is a really good example um, of that. And I think, you know, that goes... It's not what you would typically uh, expect a bank to be doing, but it's very relevant. It's very relevant from a banking perspective. You know, it, it intrinsically links to people's finances um, and, and their ability to, to earn money and their ability to have an ID and so on. So, so it, is, it is relevant for banks to, to develop a social purpose and, and reconnect to their customers. And the way they do that, obviously, as, as you say, has changed. I mean, some people listening to us talking might think, bank branch, what's that? Bank manager, what's Absolutely. one of those? Absolutely. These things in, in, in a number of countries, and the UK is a prime example, are rare beasts now. Yes. Um, I, I didn't answer your question, by the way, which was, do, can banks afford it? Um, so I'll come back to that in a moment. Um, I, I think, um, you know, the, the, we've done some, um, some studies recently that, that have shown that um, Gen, Gen Z and the millennials, but particularly Gen Z, are, are definitely interested in moving towards a much more digitally focused uh, banking service. And, and those are the ones that are, are picking the challenger banks at the moment, um, and, and you know, for a number of reasons. But I don't think they, you know, they don't have a, a long-term relationship with a bank that's been established over many years and many different situations that, that some, of the, some of the older generation have. Um, so you know, I think that's going to become more and more common, um, but I think the traditional banks have an opportunity through doing the things that I talked about around social purpose to to reconnect to their customers. Um, and they also have a lot of insights into their customer situations that I think they will begin to leverage through through data and, and so on to be more supportive of, of their customers um, and fulfill that social purpose that they're trying to establish at the moment. You mentioned the younger generation. These people, of course, do bank on their mobiles. They want service access 24-7. Um, they want it quick. They want it clean. They want it where they want it, when they want it. Who governs the adoption of technologies by financial institutions? Is it something that the institution itself is going to rush out and say, right, we're going to do that? Does the customer have a say in this at all? I think the customer definitely has a say in it. Um, I mean, for one thing, um, there's enough opportunity for them to take their business elsewhere at the moment, and that's only going to grow as well. So I, th I think voting with your feet, um, if a bank steps beyond what, what, the, what the consumer thinks is acceptable, will happen, absolutely. Um, but I think there's a whole raft of different checkpoints um, around adoption of technology. So the regulator plays a very important part in that. And, and uh, we've, we've had some conversations with the FCA uh, initially about cloud adoption, but more recently about adoption of AI. Um, that there's a whole also uh, ecosystem of organizations that, that come together across the banks. And I've, I've already talked about one of them. Um, uh, you know, we, we, SWIFT is another Cybos uh, as, a, as a conference, which has happened recently. Um, where there's a strong focus on some of the challenges around adoption of technology. Um, and ethics, for example, is a, is a key part of that. Um, Cybos, which fortunately this year took, took place in London, um, had some really strong focus on um, how do we use data, how do we use it ethically. Um, there was a, 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 the, the main event actually focused on trust. So I think you know, there's, there's a whole set of different things that, that are put in place to, A, support the adoption of technology and be ensure it's done in the right way there's a caveat to that though um, there always is yes but I, but I think it's important to 
to understand how the industry is changing um, around how it does things. Um, so most of the big banks, like the challenger banks, um, are trying to become agile. Um, and agile means many things to many people. But, but at its heart, it means doing things quicker. And I have a mental image of a tap-dancing super tanker. Well, yes, I think that's probably true at the moment <laughs> for some of the large banks. They are struggling to do it. But if you take the challenges, you know, that they are adopting new functionality across their products um, on a monthly basis, sometimes even on a daily basis. Um, if, if something works, they'll put it up, they'll, they'll, they'll try it. They may even take it back down again if it's of no interest to customers. So they are being very agile in, in, in improving and evolving their offerings. In order to do that, you probably will make mistakes along the way. You can't sit back for two years and test things with people and you know, make sure you're comfortable before you launch it. And I think banks will do that. Um, I think what's really important is that they have the controls in place to be able to, to pull back from any decisions. Um, I think the example that I give is not, not a banking example, but, but Microsoft. I mean, Microsoft had a, a very unpleasant experience when it turned on uh, a tweet feed that, that was AI-driven, and it became very opinionated very quickly, as you'll probably recall. I, I do indeed, and, yes. and But they turned it off immediately, and uh, their chief exec was very... I think he handled it very well, because what he said was, I want my company to be experimenting. I want them to keep moving forward, and they will make mistakes. And, and the key point is that we understand when we have made a mistake and we learn from it and we quickly come back from that. And I think that's the key point. And banks are beginning to move more slowly into that territory. Well, you mentioned, the, I couldn't help thinking as you were talking there, you, you did in passing mention the regulators yes. or some of the regulators. There are regulatory issues surrounding all this as well. Yes. Um, so I think, you know, the adoption of technology for technology's sake to support what the bank wants is not necessarily always appropriate for the consumer. Um, and I think the regulation needs to be there to ensure that it is. Um, I think, you know, coming back to the question at the core of what we were talking about, and banked and, and rural, mm. uh, the regulator has a part to play in ensuring that the banking services are available for all. Um, and and they, are, uh, they are as linked up to the fintech world and, and what is happening from a technology perspective as the large banks are. And they've been rapidly growing their, their own innovation teams. They've been focusing on reg, reg tech. Um, we, we've been involved in, in a number of, of, of sprints with them uh, where we've developed solutions to, to deal with issues, for example, around AML. Well, we started off talking about the availability of cash. Is that always going to be there? Are we looking forward to... This is a standard idiot question. Are we looking forward to a cashless society at some point, or will cash always have a part to play? Um, it depends what you mean by cash. If you mean a, a physical piece of paper with some numbers written on it, um, I think the answer to that is probably no. Um, how long will that take? I, I don't know. If you mean um, a mechanism... That, that maintains um, uh, the, the I can't never say this word, so anonymity of the transaction um, and an exchange between individuals or, or, or uh, an individual and uh, company. Um, I think yes, um, that some of the challenges that exist with the current system is that lack of anonymity, which I'm not going to say anymore, or even try and say anymore. Which is a which is a challenge for some people who who demand the right to privacy. Um, 
you know, the government has a perspective on that as well around things like tax and, and so on. So, you know, there, there is a pull to make things electric, electronic, to make things visible in that, in that context. Um, but some people use money to maintain that, that level of anonymity. You're going to have to practice that at home in front of the mirror, I think. From your standpoint as the CTO for financial services of Fujitsu UK, what's the next big thing? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I, I think um, open banking um, has reached a point where... It might actually happen. Well, I think, I think, I think everybody's <laughs> misunderstood what was happening with open banking. Um, open banking is not just going to happen overnight. Um, there are a whole raft of different things that need to be put in place. Some of them technical, some of them organisational, um, some, some of them even to do with some of the back-end systems that sit inside banks that, that have been there for years, which... which fundamentally weren't geared up to support something like open banking. We've reached a point now where we have enabled or put the enabling technology and solutions in place. They will now be built upon. Um, so if we take if we take the example of um, rural communities, um, one of the challenges is that um, if a bank branch closes, they can't go in and ask the bank about a particular uh, area of um, a transaction they may have they may have made. They can deposit money into a post office. Uh, they can they can deposit. Uh, they can take cash out from a post office, but they can't ask about transaction. Open banking could potentially enable other channels to access that information. So, for example, a post office may, may be a counter specifically dedicated to supporting people with their bank. Um, so that's an, perhaps an opportunity to provide a, a greater level of service from a different channel. And that's the type of thing that open banking will, will enable. Um, there are a whole raft of different things it will enable as well. Um, so I think you know, there'll be a, a big push. You, you mentioned about taking the cream off the top. Um, I think there'll be a big push to, to separate all of the different aspects of, of banking and reform them along journeys that people have. And this, that's already beginning to happen. Well, one of the problems, and this, this was happening well over a decade ago already, one of the problems that the traditional banks faced, and obviously I'm talking about a time before the challenges came into to the marketplace, was the simple fact that banking is a commodity service. Um, but as a commodity service, it's not desperately profitable, basic banking. It's definitely not now profitable <laughs> with the interest rates the way they are. Um, yeah. So, so you have a service that, that's that's not terribly exciting and not terribly profitable. You've got new challenger banks doing things more cheaply, sometimes more efficiently, um, and 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 for want of a better way of putting it, more sexily. And at the same time, you've got pressure from tech firms who are taking it off the top, taking the cream off the top with with their new products and services. Where does that leave a bank in terms of being able to, to stay in business, to provide the social uh, perspective, to, to make a profit? You know, because that's what businesses need to do to stay in business. Okay, so, so um, just to clarify what I said, when I said it's not profitable, I mean it's not as profitable as it could have been in different interest rates. Um, the, the, the point, I think, around where do banks go, which once again was a, a major focus at Cybos is that um, they, they can become both, if you like, wholesale functions, which is absolutely commodity-based. So they can get very good 
at selling car loans, for example, using data that they collect, using knowledge and understanding that they have of the marketplace, using telemetry, whatever. You know, that could be... It could, but, the, but the point is they could specialise in a particular area um, and then they will sell their services through other, other channels, other distribution models. Um, they could also become a platform in their own right. Um, so if you look at... Um, if you look at um, Amazon as a platform, they, they sell a lot of things through their platform from other organisations, and they do things themselves. Uh, what, what banks have is, at this moment anyway, is trust and a relationship from the customer around holding something safe for them, and also access to resources. Now, if they take that, and uh, resources being money, if they take that model and apply it to other things as well, um, and I mentioned ID as a good example of that. So, so ID is an area where banks could broker services based upon the trust that they have with their customers because they know their customers, they understand their spending habits, they understand their creditworthiness, and they could broker those services to other organisations. Um, and, and same for, for uh, business banking as well, you know, brokering relationships between uh, a small business and another small business on the basis of trust that it has established. Um, another aspect is data. Um, so uh, there was a very interesting talk at Cybos around data um, from a gentleman who knows it much better than I do, but his, his basic message was uh, privacy has gone. You know, we live in a post-privacy world. Um, and, and therefore, what you really want to be doing is establishing your ownership of your data and getting the best out of it. And I think, once again, you know, banks could play a part in that. So uh, aggregating data on behalf of me as a user, uh, as a customer, as a consumer, and making that data available to other organisations as I see fit to get the best out of it, which is basically what they do with my money when I store it with them. So I think banks have an evolving business model, either as a, a wholesale function for very specific financial services driven by data um, or as a platform business themselves. Um, a bit radical, I think, but, but actually I think if you look at the way the, the market could head, those are two definite routes that are, that are being explored by banks at the moment.